You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, guests, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Welcome to Voice America and Autism One, everyone. I am Betsy Hicks, and I am happy to be back after taking a break from radio this summer. I am back with the bang, though, with an amazing guest. Joining me today is Dr. John Demartini, and at the age of seven, he was told he had a learning disability and would never read, write, or communicate. At 14, he was a high school dropout living on the streets and panhandling for food to survive. After a near-death experience at 17 due to a severe strychnine poisoning, Dr. Demartini made a decision that would change his life forever. He decided to dedicate his life to becoming a teacher, healer, and philosopher. As a doctor of chiropractic and clinical research, he understands the essence of healing. As a professional speaker, he has mastered the art of teaching. And as a student of science, theology, and philosophy, he understands our connection with the divine. Today, Dr. Demartini speaks worldwide and is the author of over 40 books. Some of the best-selling titles include The Breakthrough Experience and Count Your Blessings. Thank you very much, Dr. Demartini, for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. This, you know, this is a different audience, probably, than you normally speak to. Um, although everybody is in that same piece of wanting wealth and prosperity, it's very universal. Today I want to talk more about this prosperity we want and this desire we have for our children. And I'd like to begin by how you were labeled as having a disability and your desire to pull through that. Well, I was just... Um I was just doing my normal things as a kid, uh, you know, going to school, and I found out that um, I had some challenges in reading. And I started out in the regular class of reading, and then I ended up, she put me in a smaller class that was a, a remedial reading, and then shortly after, like a couple weeks later, they put me into what they call the dunce class. And eventually I ended up having to wear in 19, I guess it was about 1959, 60 or whatever, I um, had to wear a dunce cap with a guy named Daryl, and we had to face the window because we were what was, I guess, disobedient because I couldn't, I wouldn't respond. I couldn't respond. So I ended up uh, having um, eventually the teacher invite my parents to the class in this little reading circle and said in front of me that she said that um, I'm afraid your son's got learning difficulties and disabilities, dyslexia, and, and I'm afraid he'll never be able to read, write, or communicate, never mount a thing, never go very far in life. If I were you, I'd put him in some sort of sports he likes to run. <laughs> So, and the reason I liked to run was because I was born with my foot and hand turned in, and I had to wear braces till I was four. And um, so I wanted out of those braces so bad that I used to promise my dad that if I could get out of those braces, I promised to keep my foot straight. And because I was constrained, I wanted to run. So I used to just run up and down the street, run in between classes, run, 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 run. <laughs> Boy, you really, I mean, you were hitting every direction when it comes to fighting and breaking out through what you were labeled as. Well, I think I think that that running, I'm, I still travel now about half a million miles a year. I think I'm still on the run. We set those. I don't like I don't clearly. like to be constrained. I like to be free in my thinking and my actions. 
Well, let's you know, let's talk about this whole piece of what is normal and what we're labeled as. Because these children, you know, our audience is are, are typically they're more parents. We do have some adults with autism that listen, but we have a lot of parents that are listening for their children who are. Um, going through life with these horrific labels, and and what's more amazing to me is how, luckily, I, I'd like to think that we're above the dunce cap period, but uh, we're still talking about these children in front of them as if they're not even there. Well, I think that uh, you know my observation of human behavior. I, I, I lecture quite extensively. This year, I'll do 425 speeches in many, many countries. And one thing I'm absolutely certain about as I go across the world is that every human being wants to be loved and appreciated for who they are. And everybody has their own unique set of values, and they want to express to the fullest these values. And an autistic child is no different. They have a very concentrated value system, and pretty well anything other than that they're going to be agitated by. Just like we are when we feel like we're getting to do what we want to do, we get agitated. And so what happens is uh, if we realize that and we realize that they just want to be loved and appreciated for who they are, who they are is according to their values. They see the world. They act upon the world. They make decisions in the world according to those values. And if we love them for who they are, at least we help them rally their immune system. We help them rally their feelings of feeling loved. And uh, there's certainly no harm in doing that. So I know it's easy cliche, you know, love somebody, but to really love them, without an expectation is really amazing what it does to people. Well, let's, I, I want to take you to the, to the world of, of many of these families because I I've, have been in this world. I'm not, um, I still have my struggles with my son who's 14, but, um, you know, I, I know that there are people listening right now and say, oh, you know, that's really, really easy to say, but I'm, I'm having a child who, um, has bowel movements on top of my computer on a daily basis or he smears it on his on the wall or he screams uncontrollably or I can't take him anywhere in public and they say, you know, I, I can appreciate the fact that I love my child, but how am I supposed to cope day to day with those kinds of struggles? Well, you know, uh, I know that uh, this is going to sound, uh, you know, a stretch for some people, but I really believe it. I've gotten to work with enough cases to know. It really, really helps because I always say it's, it has nothing to do with what happens to you. It's how you perceive it. Yeah. One of the greatest discoveries of our generation, William James said, was that, just, that human beings can alter their lives by altering perceptions and attitudes of mind. I know if you were to make a list of every single thing, I've developed a methodology to do this. If you make a list of every single thing that the child does, your son or daughter does, that really pushes your buttons, that really challenges you, that just goes, oh, my God, I just can't handle this anymore. And then sit down and write down how it serves you as an individual in your life and how it's going to fulfill your highest values, help you in, in your life and your career and whatever you're doing. And, and don't say, no, it doesn't. I wish it would stop. But actually just look at ways it is because everything in the universe is entangled and there's always a benefit behind everything. And to, say, to say that an event is evil or terrible or awful without looking at the other side is never true. And what happens if you go in there and find out how it serves you, it will calm down your reaction. It will allow you to turn it into something as an opportunity and allow you to manage the situation. Instead of reacting to it, you'll be able to manage it with a state of appreciation and love. And you may not change that child, but I I know one thing, that whenever you love a child for the way it is instead of the way you impose on it, uh, you get more results than if you do if you try to fix it. 
And when somebody comes up to you and says, look, you need fixing, you're, you're wrong, you need change, um, unless you believe you do, unless you feel you have a need to do, you're not listening. And so I, I, all I can say is that find out how it serves you. Don't stop until it does. It may take a 100 benefits to find it. And I sometimes have to sit with people for hours to help them do it. But when they do, once they go back to their child, the management of that just goes up and soars because now you're not reacting. You're able to handle it without emotional reaction. The child then doesn't get as antsy, too. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, <clears throat> and as a mom who has lived this experience you know, for 14 years um, and, and all the fabulous benefits of my life, my, my life is, is magical because of my son and all the lessons that I learned from him, um, and it's it's such a, a it's easy for me to say that though now. So I, I hope that the parents, especially the young ones, can really take what you're saying to heart. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that we have this assumption, and this is something I, I watch throughout our world as I travel. I, I, I have this people have these assumptions that the parents are supposed to teach the children. <laughs> And I, I really believe that it's not that way. I really believe that it is a combination of they're here to teach you exactly a reflection of what you're disowning, and you're here to teach them, and you're, you're as a team. Yep. And if you come from that perspective, instead of saying that you're right and they're wrong and you need to fix them or change them or direct them or guide them or whatever, it's also wise to say, what are they teaching me? What am I getting from this? What's, what's the real message behind this? What, why am I in this situation? And find the meaning behind it. It's like Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps in search of meaning. He found meaning in that, and when everybody else died, he survived because he had adaptability to the environment. I believe that we as parents must do that also if we want to have the maximum uh, affection going between, and which also is helping in the, in the physiology. So I think it's wise to see that we're here to teach and to learn at the same time. Perfect. Perfectly said, and I want to. We're going to be taking a break in about a couple minutes. I, I want to just really quickly touch on the law of attraction. Um, obviously, the phenomena behind the movie The Secret, and which you were in and did such a fabulous job within it. Um, I have seen both versions, the pre and post um, asterisk versions. I love them both. Um, I uh, with the law of attraction. I, I, can you just give a really quick description of what it is meant by the law of attraction for those who are not familiar with it, and then we're going to go to break. Well, I think that, uh, you know, what we think about, we tend to bring about. And the key is is to think about things that are true, truly aligned and congruent with our highest values so we have the, in, the highest probability of seeing opportunities, acting upon opportunities, and making decisions quickly towards opportunities that synchronize with what our intention is. What we think about, we bring about. The key is to think about things that are truly inspiring and truly congruent with our values. We can attract so much wonderful, so many wonderful things in our lives, and I want this message to go out to everybody listening today because um, my life is just a, a perfect example of how I've used <coughs> the law of attraction to bring about um, just extreme beauty in autism. And my son, you know, at the beginning of the show, it talks about a recovering child of autism, and, and I really dislike that, and I, they just they can't take it off because <laughs> they've already made it. But I really don't like those words because my, my son isn't recovering of anything. I mean, he, he, was fa- he was fabulous to begin with. Yes, he had some medical problems that are being well taken care of, but um, there's been a wonderful 
wonderful journey in, through all of this. And so when we get back, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get back and talk about how responsible we are for the creation of our children's reality. We'll be right back with Dr. Demartini. Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. In the realm of mental health, psychiatry is often misunderstood. On Good Psychiatry is Good Medicine with host and forensic psychiatrist Dr. Ron Kennedy Bailey. Find out the truth behind the myths, rumors, disparities, and misconceptions about the broad spectrum of mental illness and treatment options. Dr. Bailey educates and informs with truthful, factual, honest, and direct communication of information regarding mental health issues and topics to further enhance the overall medical and legal areas in the healthcare. For the best information on ADHD, psychopharmacology, forensic, and psychiatric health concerns, tune into Good Psychiatry is Good Medicine with Dr. Ron Kennedy Bailey every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Raw to Radiant will change the way you look at food for the rest of your life. This is not a show about sprouted nuts, salads, or dehydrated foods. Host Kim Cohen will show you how a raw food diet, including raw meat dishes such as wild salmon ceviche, provides you with everything you need for a long life of radiant health and vitality. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. for Raw to Radiant on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back with the wonderful Dr. D. Martini, who is the author of The Breakthrough Experience and Count Your Blessings and numerous dozens of other books. He's also a member of this the uh, wonderful team that put together The Secret, which um, many people are big fans of. And we just started talking about the law of attraction, and I want to go into this now on a much, much deeper level in how we as parents may, may or are responsible for what the creation of our children's reality, what they're living today, how much of this did we create? Well, you know, I, I was... Um 
I was interested in embryology, you know, from early stages in my my career, and and I was looking at developmental stages because there's there's some indication that some of the um, autistic background has you know genetic component and also early embryological component. And uh, I found something interesting. <clears throat> I found that that there are certain chemical, um, you might say, atomic structures that actually in the embryological development, certain atoms and electrolytes that if they're in higher concentrations, it tends to accelerate development and others that tend to retard the mitotic division of cells as it's developing. And they also found out certain hormones turn on and turn off and speed up and slow down. And my observation is that, that these chemical compounds are going on in the bloodstream of the parent whenever there's a stress pattern. And if we are over-challenged or over-supported in our perceptions as a parent, these chemical compounds go up or down accordingly and can accentuate or retard the development of a single mitotic division in the development of a child. Now, what happens is we also found out that certain chemical compounds that are sometimes called teratogens, which are toxic, uh, do the similar thing as what these same chemical compounds do. So we have outside influences from the environment that can cause these changes. We have minerals and, and food substances that could initiate this. We have um, alteration in our genes that can alter this. So we have psychological components and hormonal things from the parents that can do this. There's a lot of those that can be there. But one thing that we find is that the children very commonly have a concentrated focus, and which gives me some indication that there's a resistance in their perceptions uh, and feeling of a challenge. So I, I don't know. I don't have raw data yet, but I'm now looking at this as a possibility that maybe in the very early stages when the parents are finding out they're pregnant, uh, sixth, seventh week of development, so uh, when some of the embryological organs and organogenesis are starting to form, if the child is perceiving in any way that they're either unwanted or it was unexpected or whatever, even in the cellular levels, if the mother feels there's a conflict inside, they can, in a sense, alter hormone stages and influence this development. And as some of the people say this is controversial, but I've seen it when I've worked with people going back and, and at birth looking at some of the people when we kind of went back into their early childhood, we found this. And I think that we went back in the histories of the parents when their parents were, you know, early finding out about their pregnancy. And we find out their personalities. So I think that there's there's something going on there, and that's why I encourage people to make sure that now, regardless of what was going on at the early stages of development, to make sure that they let the child know that that child is absolutely loved. That's why it's so important to take every one of the traits that the child does um, and find out how it serves you as an individual and how it could serve your life and serve your objectives and goals and values in your own life. Because the more you can appreciate how it serves you, the more the child can feel the love. And my observation, when they're feeling love, the, the development process continues further. And if not, it gets accentuated or retarded. And they found that certain brain tissues are accelerated and some are retarded or held back, if you will, in development in some of the autistic cases. <clears throat> so I have a feeling that at early stage of development, these things were accentuated and, and um, held back because of these biochemical changes and partly because of possibly teratogens. We also know that those same emotions can turn on and turn off genetic codes by what they call acetylation and methylation. 
So my sense is that there is, in the early stages of, of this uh, embryological development, there are emotional charges and changes that are going on in the parents that may have had an influence on these children. And that's why we can't do anything about the past, but we can go back and, as parents, uh, make sure we appreciate and love the child now. And if we can go back at the time of that embryological development, if we had any emotional charges between the parents, maybe fights, arguments, or unwantedness, um, make sure we go back and and maybe I have a method that I call the Demartini method, which is in my book, The Heart of Love, that they can go back and clear that just so they have no emotional baggage that's carried forward that's that's being triggered by the child. Because I believe that the, whatever the parents tend to repress, the children are going to express. And the children may be bringing to our awareness what we haven't loved in our own life. And if we go back and love it. We had a, a, an autistic child that, with the parents. They brought him to me and I uh, had a really interesting case where we had the parents do what I call the Demartini method on the child and then do it on themselves. And the response of the child was, was significantly different. I mean, we're talking about the response, the, some of the, the, the things that they were measuring that were emotionally charging them, they, they literally calmed down. I would give it about a 25% calming just from doing the emotional changes that they did as a parent. So I can't emphasize that more because it's something anybody can do, and it's just a matter of doing it, and it makes the difference. Okay, so, and, and you're right. I think your theory is very controversial. I think it, it, it will definitely bring upon, upon a lot of people listening right now um, probably banging at their computers a tad because they're saying, but, but wait a second, I, I, did, I, I did everything right. I wanted this child more than anything. I, I, I created this child completely and totally out of love. And to say that there was, you know, I know, I know children that are abused and stuff that, 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 we're, we're totally created out of this kind of misplacement that that maybe that you're referring to. That yeah, it's not it's not necessarily necessarily from the parents um, because sometimes the child. Like I had, let me give you an example. I had um, a child that was born as a twin, and before the child came out, it was it had a cord wrapped around its neck a little bit, and the brother came out first, and when the brother came out. Um, it was having some difficulty with the cord, and the the sister of the brother kicked the child, the the one that was coming out, and broke its ribs. And the the, the brother had to go into uh, special surgery and everything else because it had fractured ribs or fractured cartilage and stuff. And so what happened is that child then felt guilty and was rescuing the brother for 33 years. So here's something that occurred way back when. Now what happened is we we found out that uh, we went back and did this Demartini method on the emotions and cleared that and let the brother be free. And what happens is she was sitting there rescuing because she felt guilty all this time. So sometimes it's not the parents themselves, the conflict. Sometimes it's the perception of the child, this, this developing uh, fetus that's going on. There's perceptions. There's responses. You can see it in, in ultrasounds. There's responses to emotional changes. Sometimes it's the perception on the, on the part of the child, not even the, the perceptions of the parents. So it's, it's not always the parents' uh, differences it's also the child's perceptions of what's going on. And so you have to factor those in. And, and we, we don't always have access to working with a child with autism, but we certainly can impact their parents. What about in your work with um, philosophy and spirituality, what is your feeling about karma? Well, I always like to think, you know, I, I, in my uh, work, the Demartini Method, every time I think that something is terrible, uh, if we look again, I always say two sides to it. Like I've had the opportunity to, to talk to people and said that you know we've had this terrible event occur and so and so did this to me, 
And then a day, a week, a month, a year, or five years later, they look back and they go, oh, God, thank God that occurred. So at the time, and even for five years, they thought this terrible event occurred, and they looked at the person as if they had done something bad, and they said, well, they've got bad karma. And then five years later, they look back and they go, oh, well, thank God that occurred. Now I realize that that was exactly what I needed. And so what happened to the karma now? Well, it was just a misperception. So I always say that there's ultimately uh, a balance of love that's going on, and we just don't see it. We first react, and we see things that support our values. We call it good, and things that challenge our values. But then later on, the very thing we think is supportive has drawbacks. The thing we think is challenging has benefits. Like I had a guy this week in my Breakthrough Experience program. He was uh, 42 years old. He hated his father his entire life. He just hated it because his father used to beat him as a child. But then he didn't realize. He never took two and two together. He became a martial artist, an eighth-degree black belt martial artist. He became an entrepreneur, an undefeated martial artist, was a, a, you know, a kickboxer, fighter, and everything else, then ran a big company. And it was the entrepreneurial spirit that emerged because of all the challenges he faced. And then he all of a sudden, this weekend, loved his father for the first time in 42 years. He never felt that kind of love. And then he realized that, it, hey, if it wasn't for that dynamic, he wouldn't be where he is today. Well, he would have sworn that that guy had bad karma until this weekend. And so I always say that we have to be aware that anything that we haven't loved in our own life or loved in other people's lives uh, is incomplete awareness. And if we go back and look at the two sides and balance out the equation, we find out it's in order and there's love there. So anything we don't love is, is kind of our karma, and anything we do love becomes our dharma, as I say. <laughs> And we exactly and, and and but I I mean I don't think karma ever is a is a um reference to the fact that you you're suffering forever. It's just a matter of this is something that you're going to have to learn to be able to, to kind of move on and well, Yeah, well, the way you move on is by finding the blessings and the things you think are terrible. I, I have yet to find anything on the planet that's that's t- terrible without having a terrific. There's never a door shut without a window open. And if we never look, then we get rigid and we get stuck. And even with autism, I mean, I know people that have autistic children that, that just are refusing to see the blessings in their life, and refusing to find the benefits, and refusing and just fighting it, and they're making life hell for themselves. And then others that have just turned it into an opportunity, like yourself, that have said, okay, this, this young child is teaching me love, it's teaching me patience, it's teaching me understanding, it's teaching me to have a cause in life, it's giving me something to dedicate, it's giving me uh, skills and training and education and it's pushing me to do things and get up early and and, I, and and we stop, I go, I can't say that my life would have been better any other way. And when they do, then they're sitting there with gratitude in their life. And the child can be a great uh, contribution to openings and opportunities and people meet I always say that it's never what happens to you, it's how you perceive it. And a master is the one who sees things in a way where they're grateful. That's exactly true. Uh, when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about um, that anger that you're speaking of because this is a big part of the autism world right now. There's a lot of anger at um, pharmaceutical companies. There's a lot of anger at the CDC. There's a lot of anger at um, the medical community in general. And when we get back, let's, let's touch on that a little bit. We'll be right back with Dr. Martini. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue 
to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Are you willing to be taught and invest a few minutes each week to learn principles that will ensure your success and fulfillment? Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to It's Easier Done Than Said on the Voice America Women's Channel. Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live, and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Kim Hahn, founder of Conceive Magazine. Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. Kim wants to share her experiences to educate and empower women. Conceive On Air is the only complete resource destination that inspires and informs future moms about their fertility on the journey to parenthood. Conceive On Air with Kim Hahn, celebrating the creation of families. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back with Dr. Martini, who is well known from the movie The Secret as well as from his uh, over 40 books that he's written, many of which you would, um, I'm sure, have seen before. And I know a lot of your listeners, your readers, are listening in today because I've had a lot of excitement over the show today. Um, I want to touch on one thing that we said in the back in the past first because I think it's very interesting about that whole creation of our child's reality. And um, I had a wonderful um, friend of mine, Dan Marco, who did some. Um, Work, energy work on me one time, and as he was doing it, he said, Betsy, when you were pregnant, what, what were you asking for? And he said, no, I really want you to think about what were the children that you were manifesting? And I said, well, I, I wanted children that were exceptionally special. <laughs> he says, well, look what you got. <laughs> it's exactly what I manifested. I manifested special children, children that weren't like everybody else, that were unique in their own way. And I, I do think that we have this piece of manifestation and that we do create some of our children's reality, whether it's on a negative or positive stance or it's from old patterns or our soul blueprint, wherever it's coming from, 
um, we are creating a lot of this reality. But a lot of people are feeling very angry over this. And um, I don't know, Dr. Demartini, how familiar you are with a big part of the autism stance because of the anger of what's been put into our vaccines and the amount of mercury that's been put into our vaccines and how all of the, a lot of these children um, have very profound um, vaccine damage because they can you know, pinpoint the day that it happened, um, and, and including my own son. But it's not just the vaccine piece. It's all the environmental things. It's the food we're eating. It's the air we're breathing. It's the water we're drinking. Um, it's all around us. It's toxins in our couches and our carpetings. It's, it's everywhere. And um, we end up getting very, very angry, and there's a lot of fighting going on. And I have to, before, before we go into this more, I have to just tell you at the Autism One conference, um, which is the, the big autism conference every year that's held in Chicago. Um, I went to this one, con- uh, this one seminar by Dr. Jean Nathan, who's one of my favorite pediatricians and uh, next to my husband. Um, and he was talking, he had everybody talk about where we're going, and everybody was talking about the fight. We have to fight for our children. We have to fight for our children. This is a war. This is a war against the pharmaceuticals, a war against this and that. And it just didn't resonate with me. I mean, my piece is I, I don't want to fight. I just want to I want to educate and I want to help. Talk about the vibration that 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 we get when we get in this whole fight and angry mode. Well, I always say that when we see you know when you meet somebody and you have a per, an impression on them, uh, sometimes you can become infatuated with them by seeing the pauses and be blind to the negatives. Sometimes you can be resentful to them because you're you know seeing the negatives and being blind to the positives. Anytime you have, uh, you know, a resentment or an anger, that means you have an unmet expectation and an imbalanced perspective. So I always say that if a person's highly emotive and reactive like that, that means they don't have all the facts. Because, uh, you know, I don't know. You know you, I know there's evidence to support that vaccines have an impact possibly. There's some anecdotal evidence there, and there's some evidence on, you know, toxins in the environment. There's all kind of evidence. There's also a very strong evidence on, on genetics. And so if we put all those factors together, I think it's wiser to be patient uh, because I don't think they've you know, said this is it and that's done. It's sort of a multifactorial thing. And I think people, when they're having an expectation of a child that's typical or whatever instead of special, and they get angry because they have unrealistic expectations, they've got to put their anger somewhere. So they want to pick somebody, and it's usually the big guy. It's usually the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies or it's usually the government or somebody. They've got to pick. My advice is to find the blessings in it, go and do the research, support the research, let's get true education, not biased information, and then let's uh, see the blessings of it adapting and learning from it and growing as a, as a culture of what may be inducing this and, and grow from it. I, I just don't think that being angry is actually going to get the outcome. I think that what it is is usually a partial information projection. The problem is the partial information is coming to the to people because because we cannot get that information from the CDC out because it's just too media bi- too media biased. I mean there there are plenty of parents and the, the genetic predisposition is undoubtable, but there's no way that you can have an increase of a thousand to two thousand percentage in a matter of a decade and just call it genetics. So you have to have some environmental trigger that's setting it off. Yeah, there is. There's no, we're not going to doubt that, but at the same time, there may be other factors even besides that. We're, we're, we're looking at so many factors right now. I mean, you could go and get on autism and probably look up, you know, 200, 300 factors, that, that are, and everybody's got their pet toxin that they're going after. Mm-hmm. 
But I think that um, it's wiser to not react, but to, like you say, educate. Research and education, that's what I'm dedicated to, research and education and and understanding and then finding out how to love and appreciate. I, I just don't think we're going to get anywhere by just fighting him and, and telling that you, you're the cause of this because, you know, one, we, until that's absolutely certain, then it may just be a, a dead end anyway. My, my observation is to keep researching, keep educating, um, and make sure that you, what you educate is as sound as possible. We have to my, – my concern is when, when these parents just get caught in the anger. They're just giving more energy to the anger. And well, what they're doing is they're first coming from the idea that, that, that this is a bad and a terrible and an evil and this and that. And I, and I would hope to, to, that my child did not get associated with that. Because I think that if the child's sitting there and it's thinking that that somehow it's yes. you know a result of something evil or whatever, I don't think that's the, the wise thing to do in developing a child. Yes. yes, I think it's wiser to say you know you're special. There's obviously some factors involved in in what makes you unique, and uh, as a result of that uniqueness, you have a new set of things that contribute to the planet and challenge the planet, like all of us. And now we want to work from that perspective. And as we evolve and understand and keep growing and educating ourselves, we'll learn more and more about the dynamics. And I think it's a wise approach. But I, just because I say that doesn't mean that's how everybody else responds. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You see some. I'll see some of these rallies, or I'll go. I, I don't go to the rallies because I stay. I go to the to the pro rallies, not the con rallies. But I, I've done in the past interviewed people that are at these rallies, and some people will bring their children, and they'll say. You know, they'll be shouting out, look what you did to my child right there in front of the child. Yeah, I think that's foolish. I, I, I really don't, I, I don't know, you know, I always say that whenever you blame, I wrote a little book called Beyond Blame. It's a small little book, simple book, uh, to remind us that it, I haven't seen blame really accomplish what people think it's supposed to accomplish. It's usually a, a sign of incomplete information. It's usually a sign of emotional charge, which is, again, incomplete information. And uh, it's also not going to open the heart to love. And love is, for me, one of the most significant things we can do to transform and evolve things and help children develop. So I don't find that the most productive. But, of course, people you know, are angry. People, I always say that the delusional, unrealistic expectations on others or ourselves creates a lot of anger. And I think it, we have to get realistic about this information. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've had been blessed to, to study some things on autism, and I, I can't say I'm a scholar on just that field by any means, but I've certainly read, you know, volumes of material, and I don't think that anybody has got it pinned down. I think there's a lot of variables in it, and I think that we can say there's some genetic because there's evidence of that. There's definitely environment. We can see evidence of that. What, Which one, how, what, the combinations is still being researched. And I think it's, it's uh, in the meantime, we may discover, you know, sometimes a disease or a health condition or whatever that we think is so terrible, um, then all of a sudden we find out that it's a contribution genetically to our evolvement. And sometimes uh, conditions like this, they're not necessarily disease, they're just alterations. Then what happens is that they turn out to be a great contribution to society. We learn new things from it, and then we go, thank you. And the big picture, the big design may actually be catalyzing research and ideas that helps humanity. Then we'll find out that these special individuals are part of the bigger picture to help humanity evolve. It's it's huge, and and they always talk about the children with autism as being the canary is in the minds of as to how they are waking us up to the world of environmental poisons and how we are starting to pay attention to them more than ever right now, and how we are just slowly um, 
destroying ourselves through the, the these toxins and, and ruining our detoxification systems and all of this. And, and people are paying attention to this. And I have so many patients even our, in our clinic, many uh, hundreds of patients whose children um, were way, why they came to us, and then they ended up seeing us as parents because. Uh, they, they said, "Well, now that you fixed my child, can you can you work on me?" And 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 parents that adults that would have died at very young ages if they hadn't taken a proactive stance on their health. And these are things that they learned about the health from their children. That's what I'm saying. So we may find out that this is part of a bigger picture to assist humanity in understanding and growing. I mean, that's part of the game. I was just interviewed before this interview um, on an organization dealing with ecology. And uh, the very topics we know, we know the, it was pollution, and we talked about you know the effects on ecosystems and and some of these pollutants. As it was Bucky Fuller who says that sometimes pollution is a future resource that we have yet to understand, and once we understand it, we use it to our advantage. And I always say that sometimes these events catalyze new research, new understanding, brain research, and we learn new mechanisms of how we think, new mechanisms of brain pathways. There's a lot of things that come out of it that we go, wow, without this, we wouldn't have learned that. Yeah, exactly. And I I personally think that, uh, you know, instead of seeing autism as something that, you know, is just challenge, I like to think of it as a support to humanity as much as challenge. And I think that anything that makes us look deeper, probe, expand, become more aware is a contribution. So I think we ought to have a rally for all the children (laughs) and adults with autism and say, you know, thank you for your contribution to humanity, and have a big convention about that. You know, I love that, and and that's uh, what uh, pediatrician Dr. Jean Nathan, who studied under uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, who's one of my favorite authors, also um, who who really preaches this message quite a bit in in the celebration of autism, and and um, this this show will eventually make its way onto podcasting, and my show on podcasting is called The Gift of Autism because it is a gift. Uh, I, I have to say a quick quote by my, my husband who likes to say this quite often is, is getting caught in the anger um, is, you know, the more you push against something, the stronger it gets. And so if you're pushing against the anger, it'll just get stronger and stronger. Well, whatever you condemn, you breed, attract, or become, I always say. That's right. We'll be right back with our last piece of uh, Dr. Demartini. Don't go away. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, 
and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranisi's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We are back with Dr. Martini and having a great conversation of many different topics in the world of acceptance, gratitude, and law of attraction. And, and gratitude is the end, I wa- is actually where I wanted to go next. And then just during our break, we were talking about, you have a new book coming out on the subject of gratitude. It's in front of me today. It launches today. Uh, it's called The Gratitude Effect. Tell me about this book. Well, the, the purpose of the book, I mean, all my books relate to love and gratitude, but this book is specifically dedicated to gratitude. And, it's, and it basically shows how in all seven areas of our lives, spiritually, mentally, vocationally, financially, family, social, physical, all areas, how gratitude enhances, expands, and develops those areas. I mean, we know that gratitude and love help the immune system physically. We also know gratitude and love helps us socially. We know it helps our relationship. We know it helps our business. It helps us uh, mind think clear. It helps us in our in our finances because appreciation and value is, is what makes grows wealth, net worth, and so forth. So it's about what gratitude is. The gratitude effect is is about how gratitude can expand all areas of our life, and how to use it, and how to make it part of a daily habit. I love what you say in the secret: to think about, think about, bring about. It's one of my favorite quotes in the movie. Well, it's so true. Yes, it is. I used to at the end of my day when I was practicing as a chiropractor. I, um, I at the end of the day I would make a list of every patient that I got to see that day, which is a lot of patients. And then what I did is I wrote a quick one-liner, sometimes longer, but most of the time just one-liners of what I learned from them and what I was thankful for. And what it did is instead of being cocky or self-righteous or puffed up from having a big day, you know, I'd be thinking about me, it focused me and and kind of forced me to get back to think about what my mission is with these patients and how I to care and serve them. And it was really amazing because when I did that, my my practice showed number-wise more stability, more growth, 
and it became a, a ritual because of it. I've taught lots of doctors that because it, if you think what you think about and think about, you bring about. And I would think that would be as beneficial for of your employees as well too, or, or the people that you work with. Absolutely. We, we used to have uh, sometimes at our lunch period, we'd instead of going out, we would have sandwiches brought in or something, or and we would sit down and we go through a bunch of files, active or inactive, and just think about what we learned from them. And write down what we learned. We wrote down their birth date. We wrote down some information about them. We just thought about them, thanked them for what they've, what we've learned from them and how they've helped us. And invariably, they would show up, refer, call, some, you know, something would happen. Fantastic. And it was really amazing watching this synchronicity develop. I have, I, I, I'm going to carry that over into our practice, so I thank you for that. Um, to, to, how can people get your books and how can they learn more about your seminars? Well, they can go to hopefully any bookstore, you know, Barnes & Nobles, Borders, Chapters, Indigo, wherever, wherever, whatever country they're in. Um, could be Dymox in Australia. But, but if not, they can go to Amazon or they can go to drdmartini.com. And the drdmartini.com, which is D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com, they can also get information about your seminars. Yes, I, I do. I have 60 courses that I teach around the world. And I'm nonstop teaching. This year I'll do 425 speeches. And, and I just constantly do it. And they can go on the website, drdmartini.com. They can see what we're doing. We do programs called the Breakthrough Experience, which I'm doing in Toronto this weekend here at the Renaissance Hotel near the airport. And then I'm uh, going to be, next week I'll be in another city, and I would just go from city to city. Excellent. Coming soon to a city near you. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I, I, I there's another part from The Secret that I'd like to, we only have a few more minutes, but I, I want to talk about, because I love another quote that you've given there, is um, incurable is curable from within. And um, as many parents are so desperate for the cure, um, comment on what the cure means to you. Well, first of all, there's a new movie coming out called The Cure that we're going to want everybody to be aware of, yes. that I get to be part of, which I'm grateful for. And But I always say that incurable means curable from within because I really believe that some of the signs and symptoms of the body are nothing more than reactions to our stored perceptions. And they're there to try to guide us to alter our perceptions in such a way that we see that we're grateful in love. Anything that we haven't been appreciative of and haven't we haven't loved is going to store as emotional charges in the body, which is going to manifest symptoms to try to wake us up to go back and look at things again in such a way that we can say thank you and I love you. Yes. Because anytime we can't say thank you, I love you to ourselves or others or for life itself, we deserve to have symptoms in some respects because we're not appreciating life. And the symptoms are trying to kick us in the butt to try to appreciate life because we grow when we appreciate I always say that if you don't have, if you don't appreciate your relationships, it dies. If you don't appreciate your clients, they go away. If you don't appreciate money, it disappears. You have to appreciate to grow. If you don't appreciate your life and your own being, you tend to not grow. So I think the body is doing what it can, and I, I don't see symptoms as a bad thing. I see symptoms as a guide to help us love and appreciate life. Exactly. Wonderful, because you know I always tell people, well, my son is is cured. Well, he has autism, but he's cured of the pain. My son used to be in a lot of pain, and and the pain is gone. The autism is just a superficial mind thing that you know goes in different directions. But but what is what is your cure? And that's the other piece of it too. What what is it the cure that you're looking for? Maybe if, if you can identify what it is, and then start trying to appreciate what you're learning along the way. I, 
Well, I'm amazed that when I sit down, and I know this is going to sound probably controversial again, but I have people with all kind of conditions that come up to me. I mean, every single day, just about. Sure. And they come up and say, "I got this condition." I got. I had a lady from Mexico that was in my program in Seattle just two days ago that that said, uh, "You know, I have this condition. What do I do?" And I said, "Sit down during lunch, and I want you to write down all the blessings this condition has brought you." She wrote 75 blessings, about seven or eight or nine of them brought her to tears. And she came up to me, she put her arms around me, she says, I now know why I have this condition. And I said, you got the message. Count your blessings, find out what what the underlying motives are, and you'll find it. And she was mind-blown. She says, I know, it it reminds me of what I was upset with in my life. I see the message now. And so all I can say is that the symptoms are trying to are wake-up calls. They're giving us an opportunity. And the cure is love. I still believe that love and gratitude are some of the greatest cures on this planet. What do you feel about intuition? I think intuition is nothing more. I always say that whatever we perceive, because we have a set of values, we filter things. And whatever we perceive, whatever part we don't perceive, is what your intuition is trying to reveal to us. So we see things whole instead of half. Because we tend to bias things. So what happens is our intuition is trying to make sure we see the whole picture, not the half picture. The half picture creates a disease. The whole picture sees, uh, allows us to see what is. And when we see what is, it's always love. So if we go back and look again, the intuition is trying to guide us back to the truth of love. Wow, that's fantastic. We have had a wonderful show with you today, and I greatly appreciate your time from your extremely busy schedule. And um, I know you've made a lot of fans today, and, and it's okay for the controversy. We like that because uh, that's one of the things that we have to take appreciation for is the fact that there are different opinions out there and that we can all take those in and take a piece from what it is that we want to learn and to move from there. So thank you. for Once again, to everybody who would like to visit his website, it's drdmartini.com. You can get many of his books just about anywhere, and, and please try to hit at least one of his seminars one day. I know you won't be disappointed. Next week we have an occupational therapist, um, Gene Herwin, who will be presenting this past weekend, who actually presented this last past weekend at the USA Gymnastics National Congress about how to teach gymnastics to children with special needs. He'll be speaking on the overall use of gymnastics and treating autism, and he will be with us next week. Dr. Demartini, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I hope we get a chance to speak again in the near future. Um, we will all be back with you next week. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.